Hello, world weavers, and welcome back to another episode of the Atlas Loom, an exploration of world building for tabletop and beyond. I am one of your lovely hosts, Diana Fay, and joining me, as always, is a man who has an extremely rare form of lycanthropy, where on every full moon, he turns into a 50-foot coil of hemp and rope. How's it going, Deb? I usually find myself at the end of the night um, tying up a boat, which is like... <laughs> Pretty cool because I'm a I'm a fan of, of boats. I'm a big I'm a big tall ship guy. I mean, you know, talk to me about sails. But at the end of the day, uh, when you when you turn back into a human and you're just kind of like stretched along a dock, just like sort of trying to hold an entire ship to the dock, uncomfortable, not recommended. Um, Great, it's for not a vibe. Those back muscles though. It's really it, oh yeah oh I do I do have I do have pretty wonderful uh, stretched muscles. <laughs> is that good? I um, don't know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I will say, Diana, you started the intro. Um, I This is on me, dear viewers. Um, I recommended for Diana to go ahead and get started with the intro. And then I reached for my water, thinking that she would wait more than like a tenth of a femtosecond to start doing the intro so I could take a sip of water. Um, but instead, she just went right in. Yeah. And so yep. the first thing on this episode is me just taking a big old gulp. Yeah. Anyway. I got to keep you on your toes. You, you do. Know. It's important. Someone's got to uh, do it. Yeah, and that... <laughs> Speaking of someone's... Speaking of uh, someone. We do have a third person in the studio today. Uh, this over here... Hi. Hello. Hello. I love how Hello. you moved around. Like, is Hello. that me? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is there anyone else here? It's me. Today we are joined by uh, our first ever guest here on the Atlas Loom, Gina, uh, also known as Oh Hey It's Gina on socials. Um, I could go on about how you're a TTRPG actual play performer, content creator, things like that, but it's better in your own words. Uh, oh, do you want to tell it? the audience oh, who you are? Oh, okay. It's it's me. It's uh, I'm Oh Hey It's Gina. You can find me by that name pretty much all of the places that I am on social media, which is generally TikTok, Instagram, uh, reluctantly still on Twitter probably someplace else at some point once that you know it is what it is once nature um, heals yeah once <laughs> once nature heals and all is right with the world once again um yeah i am so honored to be your f i didn't realize that i was your first get that i'm your first guest that's incredible i'm so excited about this yeah and we put our noggins president. together and we were like well who's the single greatest person ever and the, <laughs> there was only one option so you guys are so Flynn nice. Flynn wasn't available though so glad you could I make mean it. that makes yeah that oh. makes sense yeah <laughs> he was I our will, first I choice will, I will say he was our first choice yeah I don't blame <laughs> you so today and the reason that we specifically are, are thrilled to have Gina here today we're gonna be talking about a pretty a pretty stark contrast of a topic to everything we've talked about so far. We've mostly been talking about world building from one side of the table. But today we're going to talk about the other side, which is player characters. Now, Gina is very 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 good at this. <laughs> Stupid. Very good extremely at it. good at this. Holy uh, shit. no pressure, but Oh jeez. It it was no question when when Diana and I were were coming up with like this with you know this episode, it was like oh this would be a good guest episode. Who'd be good, here? Gina? Like we didn't even finish the the, the <laughs> yeah. statement. Um, <laughs> that is like the nicest thing. Thank you so much. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. It's very true. We're gonna dive into creating compelling characters, for weaving them into the existing world having them make sense in the scenarios that you're building, 
tying them into the ongoing plot, especially if they're like coming in midway through or if they're starting at the beginning of the campaign. There's a whole lot of storytelling that starts with the people who are actually the ones moving the story forward. So let's talk about that. I guess we could start at the start. What is the first thing on your mind when you're coming up with a character? Oh boy. I I have I have maybe a weird process. I've talked about this on a couple other a couple other people's shows and things that I've I've been on, but I tend to start and I, I remember Diana, you were actually talking about this, I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, I think you were talking about this recently too, where for me, I start with a memory or like a an event that happened to my character. And that's how I build outward. So I start with a memory or something that happened to them. And then I think, it's kind of weird. I think like what, if I had to put a soundtrack to this memory, what would that sound like? And I pick a song and as I'm listening to that song, and it's usually, it's not anything with lyrics. It's usually a score of some sort. So it's like some piece of a theme from a, a show or a movie or a video game or something that's just instrumental. And I listen to that and I extrapolate on that memory and I write it out. I write it out like a vignette. I write it out like a little short story or flash fiction. I write from that character's perspective generally or some sort of like omniscient third party, third person, limited third person, not omniscient, limited third person. And I just write what they would have experienced. And I think what would that have made them into? Who, what kind of a person would this event have created? And I start from there out. I don't start with a a class or a race generally, I think a, a moment in their life and I build outward. Love it. I love it. And the first thing that comes to my mind is um, like, <laughs> that's kind of what I do with worlds. Yeah. And it's really interesting to think about doing that same process with characters. And I think I might intuitively do that. Unclear. The whole past informs the present, informs the future yeah. type thing. Yeah. So strong. And it's very realistic. Like, we can all trace back certain personality traits we have to something that happened in the deep depths of, like, our sixth birthday or some such. Couldn't be me. Yeah. <laughs> Seems oddly specific, Diana. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Welcome to the Atlas Loom, a psychoanalysis <laughs> podcast that we've trapped Diana in. This has all been a ruse. It was a trap. It was a honeypot. The whole time. <laughs> Let's talk I mean, about that. Oh, uh, Let's not. Uh, starting with a song is super interesting, though. Like, how do you find that? Do you just go on Spotify and you're like, you find the playlist that's very accurately and very specifically listed out as being like songs to cry to at three in the morning <laughs> underneath the moonlight standing on a balcony. Welcome and back to the Atlas Loom, a psychoanalysis <laughs> podcast about Diana. How do you find I, a song? I've always really been... Uh, influenced by music. Every time I, if I watch anything, a movie or a show or anything, I'm really, I always want to know who the composer is. I always want to know who does the music. I'm, I found that I'm so affected by music and that sets the tone and the mood for me so tremendously. And so whenever I find composers or musicians or people who like evoke a particular emotion in me, I save that on my Spotify. I've got playlists. I've got like, I, I have a whole roster of people that evoke specific emotions for me. And so generally I'll find one theme, one song, and then I'll either like pull up Spotify to use the song radio, like go to song radio, or I'll just find other pieces and I build as I write. So I'll use one song and then I'll write and then I'll find a couple others and then I'll write more. And then I'll, as I'm writing, I'll find more music and then it just, it builds and builds and builds. Gotcha. 
You are an expert. Holy shit. <laughs> I am so not. Does, I am not. I'm very much not. I, I have my undergrad in creative writing. Creative writing is like English um, short fiction, essentially. Mm. And I've never used it for anything before now, except for just like <laughs> writing random fan fiction for myself. And then when I started playing, I just fell into it and never stopped writing. We should mention, I, I assume... Just for the sake of the audience members who might not be familiar with your work already, do you want to talk about what you've appeared in so far? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's it's a short list so far because I only started doing this, geez, what, like a year and a half ago? Secrets of the Core, which is a Tales of Novum uh, actual play. It's only 10 episodes. It's very approachable. If you want to watch it, it's great. I'm biased, but it's great. Uh, <laughs> that was the first AP that I've ever done. Uh, I used to do theater. I was a theater, you know, I still am, I guess, a theater kid. So I've been acting. I'm not a professional actor or anything like that, but I just loved it so much. And so that's the first real show that I ever did in this field. Uh, but I am working on a lot of other things now. But but yeah, that's that's where you can see me in the past. So hype. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I want to stay on the topic of music a little bit longer. Yeah. Cause like yeah. I so frequently, like that is how I drive the vast majority of ideas is I'll go for a walk. I'll just listen to, uh, essentially just like an inspo playlist. Like I'll, I'll aggregate songs that do things to my brain yep. mm -hmm. into one place, put it on and just more or less zone while, while walking and listening or driving and listening or whatever. I don't zone while driving, but like letting it just make thoughts appear and and yeah. then coalescing them either around a character or like I said, I do a lot of like I do a lot of um, situations based on music. They like it's like this would be the kind of music that would be in the background of, yeah. a, you know, insert scene here. And so such I get a like GM thing to say, <laughs> I get really vivid pictures of things that are happening. And uh, mm. it, it, it's such a good tool. It's such a good way. If, if you're the kind of person who, you know, I, I think it is a very, like, it kind of takes the right kind of person who, who really is in tune with music, who really can have emotions just put on you by music. Uh, that is such a powerful tool. It's such a good way also to get you into a different headspace. If you're having like writer's block or something and you just yes. listen to some music that just takes you into a completely different space. Mm -hmm. So helpful. It's, it's so funny that you say that because that's actually in, so in my day job, I'm also a therapist. And so one of the things that we do and that we have done, that I've done with, with clients before, and I do it with myself is it's called a mood induction. And it's actually where you take music specifically for people who maybe are having difficulty connecting with a particular emotion or they're, you know, people are like, I, I know that I should feel sad about this thing and I'm not feeling sad and I don't know how to connect to that feeling using music is such a fantastic way to do that. And it sounds like, and I, I know I've, this is what I do in character building. And it sounds like this is what you do, Dev, for world building too, is you are inducing a mood. You are putting yourself in a situation where you are connecting in a different way or in a deeper way or in a new way with these feelings, whether it's melancholy, whether whether it's, you know, uh, like high stress situations, if it's joy, if it's panic, if it's desperation, whatever it is that you're looking to evoke in that scene or in that environment finding music that allows you to do that is a fantastic way to connect to it and scientifically proven. It's a real thing. We love science here at the Atlas We Lake. love science. Very scientifically <laughs> focused mm -hmm. a podcast mm -hmm. over here. 
We, we only follow the scientific <laughs> so, method. You guys are you're a science podcast now. <laughs> yeah, you are I'll a back to the neuroscience. Loom. You're a neuroscience therapy psychoanalysis podcast focused on Diana. Hey, oh, yeah. I mean, we all have STEM degrees. We could, if we want to pivot, we can do it. It's time to go. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Along a similar line to like exploring music that kind of conveys the vibe of your character and listening to that and creating character playlists, which. If you haven't ever made a character playlist audience, you absolutely should. It is so much fun, and it's a really good thing to listen to when you're getting ready to get into a game and get yourself in your character's headspace following everything that these two just said. Uh, Along a similar line, making Pinterest boards for your character, oh my god. Oh my god, it's just fun. And it really works to kind of help you solidify the themes of your character and start to think about, like, oh, okay, like, I know this person's attitude, I know their personality, but what do they actually look like? You know, if you're in a fantasy setting, what does their magic look like? What, you know, Pinterest has a lot of quotes. What quotes describe this character and their past and their future actions and their rationale and things like that? It's just so much fun. And also sharing a Pinterest board with your DM and being like, here, here's this. And then they read it and they're like, where'd all this trauma come from? That's also (laughs) really satisfying. I don't know if that's something that you guys do often. We're we're, going to have to dedicate like another extra episode (laughs) to just trauma. (laughs) <laughs> and the role yeah. that trauma plays. Oh god! I'm Gina, available. You come back yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, watch Secrets of the Core. <laughs> Speaking of trauma, yeah. Oh boy, but. I love the Pinterest board. I think that's. I remember when that thing that we are not really talking about yet that we we're <laughs> going to hint about just to build hype. Yeah. When you sent me yours, you sent me your. You posted it in the. Amazing. I gave you the light version of it. There's a second I version that, that no one has seen. I believe that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just fun. It's it's the colors mostly. Like, even just starting with something as blank of an idea as, oh, I want my character to have magic that is purple. Yeah. And then going in and just being able to build out a Pinterest board of purple things. And, I don't know, kind of narrowing down your theme and vibe from there. It does a lot of the work for you. Pinterest's algorithm is fantastic for that. I think that's a really good uh, – touches on uh, how I tend to approach the, what you specifically said about purple, right? Like, yeah. I tend to start with a theme of some kind. And I want to caution one of the things that I have, like, actually written out in my notes for this episode. So I just want to verbatim say this. Um, don't make gag characters. They get old real fast. Uh, if you oh. make a character based on, like, a shtick or a, a joke or a meme, and then you're, like – eight sessions in and you're like why am i still doing this like it's not it it wears off quick um so when i say that i start with a theme or an idea or something like that i don't mean that i start with a thing and and just zero in on that one thing but i'll usually start with like okay what's a quirk or a like single just sort of concept uh be it purple right like i could absolutely see like purple everything about this character is purple why like answer those questions answer that question like why is everything purple how does that serve the character and like what does that mean what is their background what got them there but i will frequently start with a limitation or a just vibe <laughs> like a general a general concept and i've talked about this character before but uh, on a character that i made for a one shot recently for sir pfeffers um i started with just butterflies and I, I started with the butterfly effect specifically i knew i wanted to do something with Ooh. sort of abstract like one degree off, I really wanted to make a character who was all about indirect impact. And that is the 
concept that I use to then build out the rest of the character is like, why is he that way? What got him to be that way? Uh, I named him based on that. Uh, and he had like symbolism based on that. So he had like a, uh, a butterfly like pin on, on his cloak and stuff like that. Uh, but beyond just what he looks like having a purple vibe or a butterfly vibe or whatever, it, it instructed how I was supposed to play the character and what, what the character valued, which was specifically indirect involvement, having an impact on the events that are occurring without ever being tied back to it. Not, not in like a, I just cast invisibility and punch somebody in the face kind of way, but a, <laughs> I am just going to move this thing over here. And now there's an obstacle in the way. And I've like pre-planned for, preventing their escape because I've like created difficult terrain and there's not even a fight happening yet. I just moved a barrel limiting myself, I guess in that way, giving myself that restriction, that, that mindset of this character wants to operate in this way. That's the easiest mm -hmm. way for me to get into the mind of the character that I'm trying to play and check myself, like check, check endeavorance at the door and, and stop myself from making the correct decisions or the logical decisions instead of making the proper character decisions. Yeah, I, I feel that so much. And that is, that's something that uh, I sometimes, when I'm playing with people, sometimes I always, well, sometimes I feel like people get frustrated. Uh, or I hope, I hope they don't, but I can imagine that some people might get frustrated based on some of the decisions that I've made in character, thinking of what would this character do in this moment based on what they've experienced and based on what their drives and motivations are, as opposed to what would be a cool thing to do in this moment or like what's the most, you know, like min-maxed type of action or or thing that I could do to, um, you know, I don't know, do the most amount of damage in this combat or something, right? Like I think of if, my, like thinking about Yev, right? So many of the decisions that I made for Yev were based on what her ultimate goal and ultimate motivations were, which was, spoiler alert, uh, to, to bring her brother back who had died and who was just wandering. His soul was wandering because there was no way for him to, to, to cross over. He was lost. And so everything that she did was in line with what will help me bring him back. And also simultaneously with this idea, this concept that I had for her, just like Dev for you, this idea of, you know, indirect involvement, that is, that is his theme of, for Yev, it was so much of her life, she didn't want to be here anymore. And so there is still that lingering feeling of, I don't care what happens to me that's combating with, but I also need to be here in order to bring my brother back. So it's kind of tying it back to this idea of like building your character from the inside out. It's so much easier to know what your character will do or how they'll respond to something. If you know what they've already experienced and you know what they want and you know what matters to them, you can make those choices in game easily because you understand them. You've lived in their skin. It's yeah. one of the few situations where just saying, oh, it's what my character would do makes sense if it's actually something your character would do and it's a well thought out thing that's the result of their past you know and you're not just using it to be a dick right the first thing that came to my mind this is just this is just the world building dme side of me uh the first thing that came to my mind as you're talking about that character was one how can i mess with it and two uh <laughs> how can i how can i twist that uh, back around on the character right yeah. and, and and when you base your character off of something as significant or as passionate as bring my brother back 
what if that ultimately isn't the right call, right? Like this is what your character is all about. This is their driving mm-hmm. force. This is this is everything. This is how they make decisions. This is why they're still here. But then maybe I I'm just going to just speculate here wildly. But like you know, as an example, maybe they learn that their brother's soul is happy mm-hmm. and like finally at peace. And to bring them back would be detrimental. Yeah. And then having to reconcile that your life's purpose doesn't pan out mm-hmm. and now now what and what What's, do you have what else is here yeah what do you have exactly yeah and that's that's character growth baby like mm-hmm. that's, that's that's the so shit that good. i just i want like i want to be as a player i want to be eviscerated <laughs> by my dm i want them to just every knife that i hand them because i do i i give <laughs> uh alec will tell you I I give you a lot of things that have happened to this character, things that they want, things that they're afraid of, what their fears are, what, you know, all of these things. I expect and I hope in some way that that will be used against me in the best way because <laughs> I and there's there's always a place for that. Right. And it, of course, it takes a lot of trust in your fellow players, it takes trust in your DM, immense trust in your DM. It takes a lot of session zero conversations and consent forms and safety tools and all of these things. But that's the kind of game that I just love so much is that kind of deep emotional tension. My favorite examples of characters from especially from shows and and you don't need to you don't need to make your character with the intention of them being on a on an actual play. Right. Like Mm -hmm. make fun characters regardless. But I think of, you know, published shows, my favorite examples of characters that, like, come to mind when I'm thinking of great foundations is, are the characters that have gone through that? Are the characters that even, maybe in some cases even started off as meme characters, especially in the case of, like, The Adventure Zone, where Mm -hmm. uh, Taco, one of the three main characters of the balance arc, which is, the balance arc of The Adventure Zone is so incredibly heartfelt and and emotionally compelling but one of the characters names is taco and like he was mm-hmm. made as a gag because they weren't intending to do a D podcast they were just playing the intro the the um Fendelver module and one of the guys was like i'm gonna make my guy named taco and his goal in life is to discover tacos that character ends up having like such in-depth emotional growth and and they they straight up like they're like this is dumb i don't want to do the taco thing anymore but he's still named that he's still goofy like he still has a funny voice but he has also a like a lover and that lover (laughs) is uh the grim reaper also Uh, (laughs) and and like they have back and forth and they care about each other and like he 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 just grows in so many ways and is challenged to go beyond this this meme of what he was and what he was supposed to be doing. And he maintains this thing of like he's sort of culinarily inclined. He's like a chef, like a like kind of like a celebrity chef character. But then that gets worked into the plot and that gets used still in meaningful ways. And exactly what Gina was saying basically. Like if if I, I created this character, I'm giving you the the ability to create the spaces for this character to try to fill up and see what happens and that just happened moment after moment for basically all three of the main characters of of balance they sort of realized like oh we're taking this seriously 
okay, character growth time, and it mm-hmm. it it's salvageable. <laughs> well, that reminds me too of what you were what you said earlier, where you were like, "Don't make a gag character," and I completely agree with that. I think the only the only asterisk I would put on that is if you do if there is like a gag idea that you want to explore with a character, put something underneath that. Make that mm. be like the surface level of what is actually driving this character. Maybe you're, you know, like the 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 bard trope, right? Where they're just seducing everybody and it's a it's this overplayed, overtried. What's underneath? Why do they do that? Mm-hmm. What are they compensating for? What are they afraid of? One of the most impactful questions that I've heard in terms of character building and how to explore parts of your character that maybe are below surface level is what is the lie that they believe? And what is the truth oh. that they're afraid to find? Oh. I love that. Oh, shit. That's really okay. good. And like, if you approach a gag character with that question in mind, you are going to unlock so much more of who they are or, or who they could be or who they're afraid to be, right? Like, there's so much more underneath that than just playing a bard who seduces everybody. Absolutely. Kind of going into the other side of that a little bit. After you've built out a character and you have like their whole backstory and present connections and goals and motivations in mind, when it comes to actually sitting down at the table and like role playing and like getting into their skin a little bit, doing an accent if you have one, you know, making decisions in character, do you have any tips for kind of like shifting into a personality that's not your own? Um, I think this is maybe not a quite the answer that you're looking for but i i tend to take i think you and i have actually talked about this before i I tend to take little kernels of my own personality or aspects of myself and turn them into characters or try and explore that in a way through my characters so it's it's not necessarily that i am playing my own personality uh but that there's a part of that personality that i relate to and that helps me to sort of tap into that i've found it very difficult for me to play a character or to play a personality that I don't relate to in any way. And, and and that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily take a part of yourself and turn it into a character. That's something that I like to do, but not everybody wants to do that or, or feels capable of doing that. That's totally fine. It's finding something in that character or in that personality that you can relate to. What's the thing that you can lean on in moments when you don't know how you would respond or what somebody would say? Um, something else that's, that's been helpful, I think is finding in terms of like accents or in terms of getting into character, settling into that space, music, one big one for me. I have so many character playlists. I listen to my character (laughs) playlist before I play. I get into that mindset. I get into, I have different subsets within my, because I'm, I have a problem. I have different subsets of like (laughs) moods (laughs) and situations. And like, as the campaign is going, I change up some of the music. I change up some of the stuff. So it's reflective of where my character is at at that moment. But music is really a great way to get into character, finding uh, catchphrases, so things that they would say, if, especially if you have an accent or words and things to help you get into that, like into the right tongue position, into the right, like, you know, like getting all of those, what are the linguistic words, like the, I don't know, where your tongue is on your teeth and like the the mouthing of different sounds and vowels and all that stuff. If you have phrases that you can sort of check into before you get into that that can be really helpful too it's genuine advice that i hear i know some i think seven alec have both given the exact same advice where they're like yeah this is something that they teach actors to do even just beyond like the accent part of it i have a character who i get into into the vibe of by 
mostly just saying strings of threats, but they sound really good in her voice. And so I just kind of have drifted into using that. Yeah. Um, But it is genuinely solid advice if you're not shy about like wandering around your house and just like saying phrases to yourself over i do that all the time and and finding (laughs) i do it in the shower i'll do it when i'm driving home i used to um when i was like before i started secrets of the core i was nervous because i'd never done that accent like on video before so i was very i was very uh cautious about it and so i would drive home and I had like a 40 minute drive home from work where I was working at the time. And I would just read street signs and things on buses, things on trucks, names of things, billboards. I would just list things that I saw as I was driving, uh, as I was coming home <laughs> before before mm-hmm. I had to use it. It's very bizarre uh, getting used to that. Like, <laughs> I am in this room talking to nobody every day. Basically, I, I, <laughs> yes, there's, there's a camera recording, but I am in this room talking without anybody else here frequently. And then I went to go start practicing some voices and I was like, this is weird. This is so weird. <laughs> like, I know nobody can hear me, but I can hear me and I hate it. This is bad. <laughs> and it's, you gotta push past it. And I mean, you don't have to, you one, you don't need a character voice and, but if you do want to do a character voice and you like to do that, mm-hmm. yeah, practicing is literally the only way that you're going to get better. Like, I complain very frequently about how I can't do accents for shit, but you want to know how often I practice doing accents? Basically, not at all. So that's on me. <laughs> and we will have another Atlas Loom episode here coming up down the pipeline talking about character accents, kind of slipping into portrayal of someone who's not necessarily you, but maybe you in a different font, basically. Um, so keep an eye out for that episode down the road. I actually do want to dovetail off of what Gina said about not about being careful with playing a character that's just opposite you, like completely, completely different from you, which is funny because I agree and also have a note in my notes that's like play characters that are very different from you. <laughs> I saw I that like... in your very professional sheet. Yeah, thank you. I saw that. I put I a like, lot of work in my very professional. It's document. so professional. Audience, our document is just a Google Doc that I think I filled out at like two in the morning last night. <laughs> it's not. Some of the characters that I've made that were very stark contrasts from myself were genuinely uncomfortable to play, which is like I don't know, maybe a good statement on knowing who I am, but also it made it so those campaigns just like weren't as enjoyable. Like it, it it's it was a fun idea to want to make a character. For example, uh, I was playing in an Acquisitions Incorporated campaign. And if you're not familiar, uh, that that module is just basically all about making money. It's all about, like, capitalism in, like, a jokey way, but, you know, in, in like, a everything is money kind of way. And so I made a cleric who was basically a healthcare or uh, a health insurance company. Like, he he would, like, require exorbitant payment and also was constantly boasting about how incredible his services are and blah, 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 blah. But, like, he was basically just a a greedy asshole. (laughs) And that's not a fun thing to play in a long-form campaign. Like, that's a fun idea for, like, a one-shot. But I didn't... I started to, like, resent sitting down and being like, all right, time to be, like, be mean to everyone again. And I just... I personally am not able to do that. I'm not able to, to separate myself that cleanly to not be otherwise like emotionally affected by what I am doing at the table. There's just a part of me that's like in it, you know? And so I totally get it. Like I, I try to make characters that are different from myself. I frequently play 
women, I, I, I usually reach for something that lets me ground myself, even if the character is very different from myself. That kernel yeah. that we talked about. I, I think that's so such a good observation of what it what it feels like when you don't feel as connected as you could be to a character that you're playing. I think there's a difference between playing someone who feels different from you in in like a fun sense of I'm, you know, this is like a vacation from myself. I'm trying on this other part of maybe a person of like of my personality or this other aspect of myself that I haven't really been able to inhibit or or, or live in in my normal life and using TRPGs as a way to do that, I think is really magical and and leads to a lot of transformation in a lot of people's lives because these games are amazing. But there's also that part of like what makes, I think, I, I think about this from like an acting perspective of part of what can really help in scenes where like you are role-playing with another player, right? Is this idea of like vulnerability and truth in the scene and in in your interactions with another player or with another person like if you don't feel connected in some way to the character that you're playing it's difficult to be vulnerable in that moment same with like the way that you're listening to another performer or another player like you're if you're so in your head about how would this character respond to this or I, you know, I have to really like gear myself up to behave in a particular way. You're going to be disconnected from that scene. You're going to be disconnected from your fellow players and you're not going to be able to be emotionally connected in the way that you would otherwise be if it felt more natural to you. It doesn't have to feel like it's you, but feeling that sense of connection to that character, I think makes a huge difference. I'm super curious to hear from both of you about a thing that I experience a lot. And I'm really interested to hear if this is universal, okay. given that this so in on this call currently is every single person who has ever played a tabletop RPG. So if we all are in agreement, then that's everybody. Um, yep. But I frequently will think that I've got everything thought out, think I've got a character that I want to play, think I've got an idea that that feels good, made a playlist, did a, did whatever. Like I've got them in my head and I sit down to play them and they come out completely differently. And I realize that I actually want them to come out completely like that. I'm in the moment realizing, oh, wait, no, this is what I was trying to do. This mm -hmm. is the character that is going to be here. And in some cases, it's like uh, I had every intention to bring this one type of energy. And it when the first minute didn't feel right. And so I'm pivoting and going in a different direction. Do either of you experience that or am I just bad at planning? <laughs> You're not bad at planning. So it's not something I've experienced personally, but it happens so often. I mean, if you look at campaign two of Critical Role, right, Sam Regal's character not started off with a not completely different vibe, but definitely a, a, a little bit different where it's, you know, this this man playing this female uh, goblin creature with like a porcelain doll mask and things like that. And he started off playing that character with an entirely different accent and an entirely different vibe. And he dropped it within like three episodes and pivoted to something else. And he didn't really acknowledge it, just kind of like flowed into what he actually wanted the character to be. And no one really thinks twice about it. I feel like on like looking at it from the other end of things, unless you make a dramatic change that's like, you know, a total reversal in alignment or something crazy, you know, you can retcon whatever parts of your character you want to at any point. Um, chances are people aren't even gonna notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and also people change. Right. I mean, based on what it is that your character may be experiencing, maybe that's you are the only one that knows, first of all, mm -hmm. what you had planned originally. 
And also, even if you tried something in the beginning and then realized this doesn't fit or this doesn't feel right or, or I want to go in a different direction with it, people in real life change as they experience things. And so it, it would be, I think, completely, again, like Diana said, unless it's a, a huge major shift that maybe you might want to like address <laughs> as you're playing why that, why that change is there. But I think it would be completely natural and understandable for characters to evolve just as much as humans evolve. I feel like it's kind of a mistake some people make when it comes to, especially APs and things like that. So this might not be relatable to everyone in the audience necessarily, but a lot of times people walk into a game and they're like, oh, I have this entire character fully fleshed out beginning to end. This is where they're going to be at the entirety of the campaign. This is their pattern of behavior and it's set in stone. And that's a very tempting thing to want to do, but it gives the same vibe as a level two character coming into a campaign who's like already killed three ancient red dragons or whatever. It's like, okay, well, where do you go from here? Like you have to leave some room for your character to experience things and then determine on the spot how they're going to react to that and then have that experience that you have in-game form the rest of your character as opposed to just stuff that's happened off-screen before the campaign even started. Like, you don't have to have a fully fleshed-out character from the start. You don't have to plan their entire life story. I I actually really want to, like, zoom in here. Like, I really want to emphasize this. If your campaign is starting at level one or two, do not bring a seasoned hero. You are not a seasoned hero. You're some schmuck. You've got like three and a half hit points and a cool breeze will kill you. Like you didn't slay a dragon. You're not the hero of the town. You're not like this prodigy. You're just some loser. That's what level one is supposed to be is you're some loser. And like, I think that you can play with that. I think you can like if you're if you're if you want some extra flavor, you can be like, well, my character was super excellent and then something happened and they lost all of their abilities and now they're weak, but they have all the memory of how they used to be so powerful and they have all these experiences. So they're like really wise, but can't swing a sword. But the number of people that are like, I'm a hooded figure in the corner of the tavern. I'll kill anybody with whatever. Like, yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Goodness. That, or like when people come into a campaign and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm the hooded figure in the corner of the tavern and I hate everyone and I refuse to have any sort of party cohesion. Like, mm. why would I adventure with anyone? And it's like, yeah, why would you? What are you doing here? <laughs> I have DM'd tables where that happened and it's just oh. the worst of like a person coming in. I'm like, oh, great, new player. This is gonna be so much fun. And like, it's always awkward to try to, you know, work somebody into an ongoing story. And I thought I found a good way and they meet up and the person's just like, bye. And like turns around and walks out of the scene. And it's like, cool, fun, great, awesome. Jesus. You're really making my life easy here. We're playing a game that's a collaborative game, you know, like make a collaborative character. Or if they're not going to be collaborative, have them be not collaborative in a way that's still allowing the story to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, again, it it comes back to knowing what your character wants and what their desires are and what their motivations are, because there is a way to play a more loner type character or somebody who like doesn't get along with others or is the very like edgelord. I say this as someone who historically loves an edgelord character in (laughs) with like an asterisk, you know, like edgelord adjacent character. But there has to be there has to be a reason for them to be there and for them to work together because you're not, like you said, you're, you're playing a collaborative game. It's not going to work if you're not for some reason collaborating with other people. So maybe there's, maybe there's a, they have a, a secret desire to be on this 
journey or to be on this adventure for reasons that people don't know, but you can you can build that in and, and you can talk to other players and you can talk to other characters and you can still be involved without just playing this super loner, I don't want to talk to anybody, I'm just going to sit here and sulk in the corner because I think it's cool kind of character. Yep. Yeah. There's very few things where I'm like, you need this for your character, but you hit the two right on the head where it's like you need a reason to adventure and you need a reason to stick with a party. And those can be Mm -hmm. the same reason, but if you don't have either of those, one or both of those, you might need to rework some things. And that's not on, that's both on the player and the DM a little bit on the DM to be like, Hey, here's some some things that you (laughs) might be interested in or some reasons why, but that's in my opinion, I feel like that's predominantly on the player to find reasons to be involved no one else is going to hold your hand if you want to play an edgelord character to get you involved. That has to be on you. You have to be the one to make that effort. I think a really great way to get into a mindset of like nobody, nobody's excited about sitting down and being weak necessarily. But I, I find that early game characters, weak, weaker characters, level one, two, three, whatever. The biggest impacts that you're going to have, like you're not going to be strong. You're just straight up not going to be strong. Uh, usually, you know, whatever game system you're playing, unless it's specifically a game system about like playing gods or something, the flaws have a huge impact on your character at that phase. Mm. An outsized impact compared to your strengths. And so I always recommend like start with your flaws and discover your strengths. Like that mm. is always how I first approach a character is what's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay you and i have that in common (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to the atlas loom a psychoanalysis podcast where i've trapped endeavorance and gina (laughs) sitting down and talking about our problems (laughs) (laughs) i i just find that it's so much easier to color the character when they've got flaws when they've got when they when they need when they make bad decisions because of the flaws when they approach situations different from I would because of said flaws uh, because I'm perfect. I don't have flaws. So I would always approach the situation ideally. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so much harder to be like, Oh, well my character is as we, as, as I said earlier, like you're not a dragon slayer. You're not the hero of the town or whatever. Like you don't have all these accolades and strengths. You're probably going to miss most of your attacks. So (laughs) what are your strengths? I don't know. You'll find out as you work with the party and figure out, one, where there are gaps that you can fill, what the rest of the party is good at or bad at, and as you grow and change and take new skills and abilities and get new equipment, you'll learn, like, okay, my character is starting to naturally sort of, like, flow into this position. But from the drop and consistently throughout, and maybe you resolve some of the flaws, my character has been incapable of focusing in a crowd or mm-hmm. any number of things, things that can immediately have an impact on the story. A very useful question uh, for both of you, which is how do you guys work out the details of your characters? Because what we talked about so far is very much like, this is the core of my character. This is what's at their root of their motivations and their personality and like, you know, their reactions to things, but how do you make sure that your character isn't just like a caricature of itself? Like, how do you make it go from just a two-dimensional, sort of very predictable creature into someone who has, you know, nighttime rituals and interests and hobbies and, you know, little quirks about themselves? Like, how do you fill in the gaps a little bit? It's a good question. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever actually thought about my process for that. I think some of it, I just, have one either. some of it, I just sort of like 
make up uh on the spot on the fly <laughs> like like when when so when we recorded our first episode which i won't talk about it uh-huh. but when we big, recorded big, our first big the thing that we're yeah. not talking about a lot of that was just i just was it was almost like i was watching it happen in my head and i was just describing what i could see happening or what i felt like was the right thing for her to do in that moment that um, was improv yeah yeah but like some of it some of it some of it was not some of it was planned like some of the items that she has right like i know that she has them and i have in my head sort of cataloged what i would imagine would be in some of the things that she brought with her right like i have some of those ideas sort of floating around in my mind but it most of the time it's just sort of what i envision instinctually my character's doing in that moment um Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll say something and I'm like, oh, that's not actually what I wanted, but that I just have to, I just have to roll with it. <laughs> or, or I just, you know, later on do something different and hope that people don't remember. That. <laughs> right. I would say it's a pretty similar approach to world building for me. It's a lot of asking questions about what I've already gotten down. So, like, I know I want to have this theme. Why is that theme here? Okay, well, that theme is here because the character was at one point in their past associated with some faction. What was the faction? Who was there? Who else did they meet there? And where are they now? And just kind of, like, continue asking questions in every direction. And I this is where ADHD becomes a superpower because I just get distracted and go f- jump from, like, spot to spot to spot and just sort of, like, create this web of all of those answers out from the central starting point of like what what's the quirk with my character i struggle with uh adhd and and executive functioning and and things like that too and which is one of the reasons why i've never had the the um what's the word i'm looking for patience for like long form (laughs) long form writing like i I would never write a novel it's never what i wanted to do short stuff is good is really good for me flash stuff especially and so i do something very similar as you, Dev, is I, I write, when I'm writing these things, I'm writing snippets of memories. I'm writing dreams that that my characters have had. I'm writing, um, sometimes I write bedtime rituals or I write, you know, in if we are in a campaign, I'm actively writing in the downtime what my character might be doing in that downtime. If it's nighttime and everyone's gone to bed, what is my character thinking when they're laying awake at night, right? I, I write those things out and that in those little snippets help me to piece together all these different memories, all these different thought processes to just be able to improv things later on if I need to, because I, I, again, like I know them. I feel like I have a good sense of them as I'm playing them. I would say we, uh, we, I should have mentioned this way earlier in the episode when we were talking about the like things that we do to help us like map out a character. And we were talking about like music and whatnot. Um, We'll get to, tools and all that stuff in a future episode but pretty much the first thing i do when i'm going to sit down to make a new character is make a new obsidian vault and if you're not familiar with obsidian it's just a uh a note-taking piece of software that lets you link between your notes using like text textual links and so i will start by writing out my idea for the character in just like a single note and read back what i had just written and then you can just turn words that you've written into a link to a new a new note and click through that word mm-hmm. and start writing on that note. And that's how I start to just web out from there. 
it's quite literally making a web of, of notes. Yeah. Uh, starting with just a brain dump of the core concept and then fleshing out, like identifying sort of like nouns and moments and history, turning all of those into notes and then fleshing those out and then just rinse and repeat. And you eventually have more notes than you could do anything with, but it gives you a really easy reference where everything that's associated with anything else is quite literally linked to each other. And so I use that to sort of offload. It, it helps me as a, as a person who's trying, who's like jumping around a lot and gets distracted and forgets about things. It helps me get something down in whatever capacity and let it exist and move elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it reduces some anxiety because I know that I've gotten it out of my head. I can get back to it when I'm able to get back to it, but I have another idea that needs attention now. I'm going to go flesh that out. And so it doesn't need to be obsidian. It can literally just be a, a, a journal or whatever, but just like, Start with a brain dump and then highlight whatever thing that is potentially possible to expand on and then expand on that. And you will so quickly have so many nouns. <laughs> <laughs> to, are you guys familiar with the concept of brain rot? Is that something that's like spread further than just by circles? Uh, the definition of brain rot for me usually applies to morons. Oh, Wait, what is your uh, God, definition of not. what is your definition of brain rot, Diana? Uh, it is the lovely thing that happens when you start a new AP and you start building a character, and all of a sudden you can't stop thinking about that character and the potential oh. of that AP and like my daily like, existence. Yeah, that's constant. Yeah, yeah. it's constant. No, I just call that hyperfixation. Yeah, that's sure. yeah. <laughs> Same yeah. vibe. We've been calling it brain rot in in my inner circles. And something it's just something like, psychological analysis podcast. Oh, fuck yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm really curious for you, Diana, because you're you're doing so many APs right now, like for, this year, for yeah. the first time, right? Yeah, I hard launched into being an AP performer. <laughs> I've got yeah. five coming up confirmed for 2024, potentially six. Uh, timelines are a little weird, but uh, only one of which has actually two of which have been announced one that's been teased and then the rest are like, let's not talk about this quite yet sort of thing. So I am full on, like, honestly, 90% of the reason that I was like, we should do this episode is because I was like, I need this info, please. So <laughs> um, I'm very new to it. Yeah. Well, it's so cool to see you throwing yourself into this, but also to take the other side of the table too, because you've been and, and are an incredible DM. Ah, and to be able you. to see you playing is... And, you know, I'm definitely biased for reasons that I can't disclose yet, but I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> to see you just thrive in this. Thanks. And I guess we can talk about, like, that elephant in the room real fast. The reason that Gina and I are like, there's this thing that we want to allude to, but we can't talk about. We can say in broad terms that we are on both together uh, in season two of Tales of Novum. Um, and that has begun recording as of the time of this podcast. We can't divulge any more information about it, but we've played together uh, once going on twice. And so we've got tastes of each other's roleplay abilities and like player creation abilities. And it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm so excited. So keep an eye out for that, audience. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about strategies that I've picked up from various places that I've incorporated into my approach to building characters just because they are really easy steps to follow and get you a lot of good stuff to work with, especially, and, and I, maybe I'm approaching this from the perspective of I, I primarily DM, but these tips also create fodder for your DM. Uh, the main thing that I 
always encourage. And this also helps to thwart people who are like, I'm a total loner. I have no background. No, no one knows me. Pick one friend and one foe. And this comes from uh, the old mainstay of things that Dev pulls rules from, Blades in the Dark, in which that's a part of the character creation, is you define an ally and an enemy, and you give that information to the DM. And they're supposed to use it, and it it works out pretty well, because it's the ally is like somebody you can go to. It can be a frenemy. Like, it can be a person who's reluctantly helping you, a person who owes you a favor, a, a person who... Like was like if I ever see you around here again, I'll I'll kill you. But now it's still self-serving. Like you know that you can call their bluff on that, and you know you can go see them. But then your enemy is actually dangerous. Does actually want to screw you over? Is an is a character with agency working against you? Maybe not always. Like maybe that comes up as a part of a larger plot. But you can see immediately just with coming up with two people, just coming up with like who's a friend, who's a foe. Well, one, you can just hand that to the DM and they can do a lot with it. But two, it then opens up the door for who do they know? What are they involved in? What are they doing? How did you make the enemy? How did you make the friend? It just implicitly opens up all these questions. And I have found that getting sort of away from my character and asking the questions of what has happened in the space around the character usually unblocks me when I'm like, I don't know what to talk about next with this character. I love that. I think something, too, for me is I... I love looking up those, um, like those lists of like a hundred deep questions to ask your best friend, like those types of questions. I love answering those for my characters, uh, thinking about things like what, you know, cause I build from memories outward, right? Like what's a, a pivotal memory in your life or what is the first thing that you remember or what is an item of significance that you carry around with you? What's something that makes you feel safe? Um, and these are very like deep, these are deep emotional questions, but these are things that I think really can help. For example, for, for Yev, I'll use Yev as an example again. She, her personal item of significance, so she had a, a couple, but one was her, the stone that she carries around with her that wasn't a sending stone. It was just a regular stone. It was a, just a rock from the place where her brother had died, but that was a connection to her, to him. And that became something that, you know, was a unifying thing for her throughout the campaign of that like that's how she found connection to him that's how she spoke to him i think we we sort of sometimes get really in our heads about like details of events in our characters lives but if we can think about other things that maybe they carry with them or things that matter to them we can then build outward from there that literally like basically exactly what I was going to say is look up questionnaires online and answer mm-hmm. them in character. Yeah. Um, you even listed off some of the questions. Cause like I have a full questionnaire that I usually use and Steve send to my players. If they're working on a campaign with me that asks like basically those sorts of questions, what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel unsafe? What's an item you have like verbatim? Uh, <laughs> like, do you have any other existing connections? What beliefs yeah. do you hold that question you had earlier about like what lie does your character believe? And mm-hmm. I, I might be and the truth that they're now. afraid to find. And that, yeah, like, that's good. And that's tangible for people like me who need, like, a process to follow. Um, that's a really good start. Didn't you also recommend, you had, like, a book that you told me about one time. Yeah, it's um, it's fantastic. And it has so many, yeah, the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide. Oh, easy. It's that's really, just it's really easy. It's super <laughs> easy to, to look it up. And they make them for world, world builders. They make them for DMs, too. Uh, oh. But the, the book is really great because it has... 
it, it's laid out from like level one to level 20. So the more that you read through the book, the higher level your character presumably is getting. So it's things like, what are the holidays that your character grew up celebrating? What are their favorite mm. foods? Um, you know, think about a time when they had to leave somebody behind. Who did they leave behind and why? Things like that. The things that really kind of get you thinking about experiences that they've had, um, sensations that they've experienced, right? Taste and smell are, are such impactful and, and visceral experiences for us. Of course, it would be the same for your character because then maybe in the context of a campaign or in an ep in a episode for an AP or like in a, in a scene, maybe your character smells something that smells familiar to them. And that brings them into a new place in their character that brings you into a new place as the player. Maybe they've tasted, maybe there's food there that reminds them of a place of their, you know, childhood home or something that can really help connect you in a different way. I think real, real quick that touches on a very often overlooked, uh, just thing to have on hand ready for your character. Favorite food, go-to drink. Mm -hmm. It will come up. Yeah. And you probably didn't <laughs> think to plan for it because you thought that you could just do it on the spot. But the second that you're asked, what are you drinking and what do you like, what do you order? Deer in the headlights every time. <laughs> and strong dislikes too. I, I feel mm. like that's such a memorable thing for a character. Like for them to have a really firm opinion on something <laughs> really just benign. Yeah. It, it humanizes them. It makes them more of an interesting character because then you're thinking, well, why, why do they hate that so much? There's mm -hmm. obviously a story there. And even if you don't go into it, it, it just gives them more dimension. That's the fleshing out that people really need. I will also say one of my most fun things to do as a DM, which I haven't done for either of you guys for Strahd yet, but I plan to, uh, is getting like a concept of what your characters are thinking about as they're dying and you're sitting there making death saving throws and being able to flash back to a vignette of some earlier time in your life that was maybe happy or maybe horrifying that you're sinking back into the darkness of. Um, that just flavor-wise adds so much to the emotional moment of you know, being at death's door. Um, I like to sprinkle that in there just as a fun little side tip. Uh, and then also just working with your DM in general. Oh, yeah? Oh, no, I was, I was just laughing as someone who has experienced this. <laughs> so much <laughs> drama character drama and knowing what you are capable of which is the other thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah the other side of it is that your character creation shouldn't be just you sitting alone in a room like in a vacuum please for the love of god consult your dm um when i have my characters create my, my players create characters i offer to provide them you know not just the basic stuff like a hometown but i can give them if they tell me oh you know i kind of want to be part of a a faction of cooks and chefs, then I'll give them that world info if they don't want to make it up themselves. I give them birthdays. So that mm -hmm. way that when we get to that day on the calendar, they have a little bit of something to celebrate. And that leads to really good role play moments. Um, you should be consulting your DM most of the steps along the way and having that sort of two-way conversation. Mostly so they can use it against you, but also just so it makes your character more rooted in the world. Yeah, Diana, I, I remember when I was building... Uh, my character for, for Strahd, which I am devastated that I'm not able to participate <laughs> in right now because I'm it's just okay. so massively oh. overwhelmed. But such I, a good character, too. I, I had such and ideas. I was so excited about that character, too. And, <laughs> and I remember not knowing all of the pieces of it. And I was just sort of spitballing with Diana and we were messaging back and forth. And, and I was like, here's what I'm thinking. These are the pieces that I have down sort of that I, I'm really excited about. And these are the pieces that 
you know, I don't really know what direction I want to take it in or all of the information. What do you think? And she wrote me back with just like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of lore and questions and <laughs> suggestions. And it was just such a wonderful collaboration between the two of us because because that was so helpful for me in knowing that you not only like the ideas, but also have your own sense of investment in these pieces and and know about these things so that if we ever did stumble upon these places or talk to these people or get to that place like that I know and trust that you know where you want yeah. that to go and you have information that I don't have and I think that that's such a beautiful such a beautiful thing mm-hmm. I want to endorse that and say that <laughs> that that experience that Gina just described was the literal genesis of me even approaching Diana and being like we should do a world building podcast because <laughs> I was like, I made a character, and then I was like, here's my character, isn't this fun? And then I get, like, a 400-page document, a dissertation uh-huh. that's been, like, peer-reviewed uh-huh. with, yep. like, all this extra References. information and, like, just so much. Like, the birthday thing. I was like, I have a birthday! And, like, yeah, yeah I was like, it's, it became inherently obvious how much mm-hmm. how much care was being put into the details that are being sprinkled throughout the world. So, yeah. endorso. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting back to the actual, like, tips for making your character. (laughs) Uh, One thing that I think people do frequently is start with a goal of playing a specific niche race or trying to make that kind of work. I want to say up front, play whatever you want to play. That's fine. No problems. Don't, I, I don't recommend starting at that. I don't recommend starting with the race of the character, the species, depending on your, on your system. It kind of, I think, puts a, a limit on where your imagination can go from there, as opposed to what we were talking about more at the outset here of starting with a an idea, a memory, a concept, something core to the character and figuring out what species would embody that the best way or could present that very very well and i am definitely at fault here because i always try to be extra and and you know outside the box i have i had literally never played a human in dungeons and dragons until this (laughs) year and i've been playing that game for like over a decade and i just i just always avoided picking a human because that's boring right like who's gonna pick a human but then i finally like had a character idea and i was like actually it makes a lot of sense for this to be a human wait a mm-hmm. minute and i actually changed again i i for a long time was starting with i'm speaking from my own experience here i was mm-hmm. starting with the race i was like i'm gonna play a person that's this i changed the race like a day before i played that character and it was a mistake. It was a mistake to, to, to make that decision before every other before other decisions were made about just the core heart of the character. So definitely don't lock yourself down too early, I think, especially with, yeah, with, with species and class. Yep. Just because you want to be just because you want to hit things really hard doesn't mean you have to be a barbarian. Mm-hmm. I love how Gina and I both chose humans for <laughs> our, our we sure did. Sure There's a lot of complexity in humans. I, I realized this recently when I was working on some world building stuff for a thing that I'm not talking about and realizing <laughs> secrets. Secrets so everywhere. too many secrets and realizing the 
the time scale difference between humans and most other species in a lot of fantasy. And when you're world building, you can define whatever you want. But I specifically in a world that I'm working on describe humans as essentially very aware of their mortal condition compared to most other species that live far longer. And so those other species don't have the same drive that humans have. The humans have much less time to work with. And so they are much more motivated to move forward. And that is just an inherent property that they have. Every other species is much more just like, hey, we'll get to it. <laughs> but humans are the driving force because of that property of them. So it's not, you know, they're vanilla. They're the basic. They're the default. But also you can still find meaning in that choice. I think, too, if you have, a, you know, if you have that thought of like, I really want to play a tiefling or I really want to play a gnome or whatever it is think about what it is that you like about that like what is appealing about playing a tiefling what is appealing about playing a gnome what are you trying to get at or what do you feel like you can only get by playing that character is there a way that you can embody that in in an, and that doesn't mean that you can't and that you shouldn't if you have this thought of like I want to play a tiefling sure play a tiefling but it doesn't have to there are so many other ways I think to approach what it is that you're looking for. Because I think about, like you said about, you know, just because you want to hit things doesn't mean that you have to play a barbarian. I, again, I, th I think about, yeah, she was, she was a rogue, but I built her like a fighter. And so she was very melee forward also because she was uh, taking a lot of risks for a number of traumatic reasons. She really didn't <laughs> give a shit. Uh, but I built her that way, not because I wanted to, I made her a rogue because she was trained as one, but a fighter because... That's the the mentality that I wanted, but I didn't make her a fighter initially. Just tended to multi-class. Anyway. I, would, I, would, I just want to chime in and let people know, by the way, that if you do start by saying, I want to play a tiefling, look, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just here to let you know, but you're bisexual. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're queer thing. as hell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Welcome that's to the club. Okay. Yep. Yep. I don't make the rules. That's just... It's just how it is. That's science. Sorry. It's just, yeah. well, although every, if you're playing this game, odds are you're, you're probably a little. <laughs> you probably you're you may be open to more questioning than maybe you're aware of. Yeah, we've been doing a, talk, a lot of discussion about uh, character <laughs> creation. Mm -hmm. Now we're trying talk on about different your identities. Character creation. Oh, okay. <laughs> Goodness. Um, anyway, yep. something something psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. yep. <laughs> I think something else that's really important to talk about when we talk about building characters based on aspects of ourselves or, you know, becoming really emotionally invested, which I, I tend to do a lot, uh, is, is just the, the keeping in mind that it takes a lot of trust with fellow players and with your table and a lot of consent, like enthusiastic consent and discussion and safety tools and session zeros and all of these things just to, to really ensure that everyone is on the same page about what you're diving into and, and how much how how much of your own emotions are showing up in your character and in the scene. Because I say this as someone who's experienced this often, like when we really become tied into our characters in the way that I think makes for incredible role play and incredible art and, and gameplay, bleed can show up. And, and bleed's not necessarily a bad thing bleed being like the the you know what's the word that i'm thinking of the like integration of our own emotions and our own 
wants and needs and 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 thought patterns into our characters. Like that, I think that that can be a really amazing and impactful thing as an actor and as a player. But it also can sometimes be confusing, and it can also sometimes be harmful to us if we don't know what to do with that. And so I'm I'm curious for for the two of you as seasoned DMs and also players, what your experience has been like with that, and and you know just what your thoughts are on that. I would also add just to the whole complexity there, other players being emotionally impacted by you. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Especially when you're when you're, you know, really getting into it and it's like I'm thinking about stuff from Secrets of the Core, but when you are in it with another player and you are tied into your emotions or into your character's emotions and they're in theirs and, and you're having this interaction that has real effects on you as a, as a player and them as a player and as a person. And so it's really important to not only have that sort of set, those conversations to have been had beforehand, but also to be checking in with one another afterward. Yeah. And even during, like if you feel like things are getting really intense, like you can always take, <laughs> you can always step out. And the thing, yeah. the thing that comes to mind is, uh, I wasn't even a player in this, but Diana, you were the monster hearts with Kiki, huh, where yeah. Kiki was, if I recall correctly, Kiki was playing a very mean character. Yeah, the and typical Kiki's mean girl. not a, not Kiki's got some, got some, uh, got some talons, but not typically just an outright mean person, typically a very supportive and lo lovely person. And I remember tuning in and I didn't have the context yet. And I thought that Kiki was legitimately mad <laughs> at other players at the table. I was Kiki's like, what is going on? Good as a role player. Yeah. Oh my God, they're amazing. We even had to sit down before that session started and talk to our audience and be like, hey guys, by the way, Kiki specifically is not actually an asshole. This is just their <laughs> character. Just to put that out there. Um, and then we also had like trigger warnings and stuff available in the side chat. You know, people could take a look at the potential triggers related to the episode before tuning in, um, which all just kind of loops back around to safety tools and consent mm -hmm. and things like that. Like before Kiki made the decisions that uh, their character made in game, they talked to the person that they were opposing and they said, hey, by the way, like, this is something that my character might get into. They might start to bully your character a little bit. How far do you want that to go? How far do you not want that to go? Because it tackled actual issues that that victim, and I'm just going to keep using the word victim because it's easy to distinguish the two, that victim had actually dealt with in their real life. Um, so making sure that potentially dangerous or potentially psychologically troubling scenarios are talked about above the table and not being afraid to talk about them, even though they might be like a spoiler for something that might happen, Making sure that you have that green light before going forward is super important. And then, yeah, like Gina said, doing check-ins during the session, after the session, sitting everyone down and being like, hey, that was a really emotionally charged episode. How is everyone feeling? You know, if you feel weird at any point, DM me on Discord or whatever messaging service happens to work best for the DM and I'll see it and I'll pivot away. Um, and we do have an episode coming up talking more about safety tools, but when it comes to that psychological part of it, when it the bleed and how ingrained it is with your character. That is really important to mention in this episode as well. Getting to the meat of, of Gina asking about sort of bleed. I can definitely say very, very recently I have, I have felt this and it, it's important to check yourself and, and make sure that you're not letting this kind of stuff get to you. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a character that's actually in Diana's campaign that can't speak 
and also is just very socially not adjusted. Uh, mostly in a rejected by society kind of way, not in a I am just difficult to get along with kind of way. And it wasn't really until after I had already started like making the character and even played a few sessions that I realized that it was essentially just <laughs> a big allegory for feeling outcast and having a, a, a actual barrier between myself and other people as a person growing up. And I, there have been some sequences in that campaign. And so there have been some moments where it's like, I realize, like, okay, I am actually somewhere in my heart. There is a, a feeling that I've triggered on my own uh -huh. dang self. And yep. that wasn't the goal. And like, it took a long time to realize I didn't even realize that I had made a character that was causing or enveloped in this sort of putting a bit of myself into them. And thankfully it hasn't been like traumatic, right? Like thankfully it hasn't, it hasn't been unmanageable, but there were moments where I was like mid talking about like what my character is doing when I had the realization and like stuttered a couple of times. Cause I was like, uh, 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 uh he's doing, doing this thing. Cause I realized like, Oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. this is, Oh, uh, the thing to do, I think, for at least the, the way that I reground myself there is, one, just take a breath, and two, let it happen to some degree, explore it, and turn it back around into the character. And I've found that doing that it, with a previous character that I had that was way too much like me, um, I, used the, I used those moments to pick sort of one... I'm going to say like sort of dialed in emotion from what I was feeling and focus in on that thing, focus in on, on my character expressing that in the scene and letting that drive some character development to ultimately narrow down and figure out what my character actually is. That isn't just me in a different font kind of trial by fire, kind of, exploring on the spot but it helps you get a little bit further it helps you sort of compartmentalize mm -hmm. and move forward and like learn and quite literally grow as both yourself and the character from those moments what was this about being a psychoanalysis podcast again something something <laughs> psychoanalysis yep, podcast that, yeah that's the one <laughs> we've come to the part of the episode where we are going to answer your wishes if you would like to send us a question to be potentially answered on the podcast and potentially even answered with a guest, you can send us a wish, wish at the atlasloom.com. That is wish at the atlasloom.com. We've got a few great wishes here today, and let's just go ahead and jump right in. Our first question comes from Ken. Thank you, Ken. Uses any pronouns. Says, firstly, love the pod. Thank you. If you want to have your wish feature, be sure to include that at the front. You know, that doesn't doesn't hurt your chances. Yeah, if you Venmo us each $100, too, that is Certainly a word on the street that can help. Mm. Ken says, we play once every two weeks up to once a month, and it's hard to remember things that happened six months ago. Ken is wondering, how do you go about actually taking notes during the session? <laughs> Gina and I know a thing or two about only playing once every two weeks or a month. It sucks. Holy yeah. shit. It hurts. 
So both from the perspective of a DM and also given the topic of this of this episode from the perspective of a character. How do you go about actually taking notes during the session, during the flow of everything without breaking up the flow? I mean, from the DM side, it's it's hard and it's easy. It's easy because you kind of have, in theory, if you're working off of like a published campaign module or your own written stuff, you kind of have the majority of it written down already. You just have to go back in afterwards and just like mark like, okay, well, we got through this paragraph of the story or this room in the dungeon uh, during this episode. And then, you know, if you can, kind of taking notes here and there without disrupting the flow of the story whenever your characters are having an RP moment or they're sitting around the campfire uh, or working out, you know, short rest stuff, that's when you take a couple seconds and make a couple bullet points at that section in whatever document you're working in or in a little journal off to the side that's just like, you know, such and such released this creature into the world or such and such picked up this item really short bullet points for the details i usually rely on and this is this is gonna i'm gonna out myself a little bit here i don't remember a lot of what happens in my session that's not pre-written or pre-ordained by myself which is why i tell my players hey uh does anyone want to do the session summary for me does anyone want to just like make a couple little paragraphs just let me know what we did because i do not remember i like (laughs) sit down and i black out and then four hours later i'm like man that was a great session So I rely a lot on my players, but I try and take notes wherever I have like small breaks from DMing. Diana, I'm so glad that you said that you black out in <laughs> when you <laughs> because I do because I do too. And I, I do as a player, I'm very uh, spoiled in that most of what I have done so far has been recorded and I can go back and, wa- and watch it and remember things that I just was not taking in in the moment because I was in either like in a a scene or in character or thinking about something else i'm really really bad at taking notes during games which is ironic because as a therapist i take notes all day that's what i do (laughs) i take i take notes and i write notes and that's like the bane of my existence and and i am and maybe it's because this is like my escapism and i'm like i don't want to take notes ever ever again uh i'm really bad at that but i tend to remember if it feels important to the world, if it feels important to the story, I tend to remember that. And it's the little detail things that I tend to not remember either. Or sometimes I'll have, I'll be in a scene and I just, I'm completely blacked out and I have no idea what happened. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and people tell me other afterward what happened. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't. I, that sounds right. <laughs> I have no idea. I tend to have some sort of scratch note, be it literally just like a legal pad or something, or more more often if I'm like on a computer, I'll just have like a dedicated note in Obsidian that's just like, this is my dump pad. Like I will throw, it doesn't need to have any kind of structure. It's literally just reminders for me to remember big moments that happened in the session or NPCs I had to improv with their name and location or whatever, things to follow up on. I will just dump anything that's like, this is really actually important. I will just like, the the shortest possible thing to remind me, I will put there. Another tip that I can give, and this does require, I highly recommend, well, one, look up, get consent from your players. I almost recommend looking up the, the, the laws of your, of your locale to determine if this is legal or not without their permission. But don't, don't do that. Get their permission. Record the sessions. Uh, use an audio recording or whatever. Like, it doesn't, you don't need to record it for publishing online. You can literally just put your phone down and do like a voice note. Or if you're on a computer already, just use the, if you're on like a laptop, just use like the built-in mic, just hit record 
and it doesn't need to be the best audio quality ever. In fact, it mostly just needs to kind of get like your stuff. And if as long as you can make out what some people are saying, great. But then you can cross reference that when you go back to your scratch pad. You've got okay, like I this big moment was here. Um, if you really want to go wild with it, you can glance over at the audio recording and see like what the timestamp is and just mark the timestamp. And then you can scrub back through and quite literally you can get the benefits of what Gina said. The recorded session, you can go back and extrapolate whatever notes you want. That is not required. You do not need to record your session. I don't I don't usually, but I have in the past. I I find that mostly just having that dump note is enough for me to if I'm if I'm on top of things and right after the session is done or the next day or something write up my session notes and it's fresh in my mind great but I mean let's be real more often it's like I forget until the next session and then I'm like oh shit and then I look, <laughs> look at my like dump note and it's like incomprehensible <laughs> we love that but something else that you could do within your players after each session if you're playing if you're not playing that frequently is doing what I do or what we do for our, our home game, which is the stars and wishes. Um, like we do a little chat, you know, afterward of like, what were your favorite things? What were your stars and what were your wishes of things that like you wanted more of, or things that you're excited for, or things that you're looking forward to just to kind of keep that stuff fresh in people's minds. Cause it may be that something that stood out to somebody else is going to be their star or their wish. And that's going to help you to remember what happened in that session. So that can be a, a nice way to like kind of, mile mark your episodes too of what stood out to people if you want to be the single greatest person ever by the way i once had a player oh god i miss this man every day <laughs> i had a player who after each session like the next day sometimes a couple days he would write up a like bullet point list of all of his thoughts about the session what he thought that I oh. did well, what he was excited about that other players were doing, what he's looking forward to that's going to happen with his character and things that he wants to 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 make sure are looped in for like future sessions so that I'm aware of it. Uh, things that he wanted to clarify because he's like, I don't think I got these names correct. And also, like, I don't know if I totally understood what happened in this scene or whatever. And so I, one, would get a nice compliment uh, after every session, which was super wonderful. But then I got my player's perspective of like their notes and what's on their mind. And so one of the things that you can do as a player is share your notes, share your thoughts, share your sort of debrief with your DM. It's a group effort to take notes. And it's also a group effort to keep your DM not miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, thank you so much for your wish. I hope that we answered your question. Uh, we answered a lot of questions in your question. So hopefully somewhere in there, it got answered. <laughs> Our next question comes from Vienna, who uses they, she pronouns, says, I've been really enjoying the Atlas Loom. Killer name, by the way. So again, yeah. with the, you know, not hurting your chances. Mm, uh, yep. Thank you so very much. <laughs> <laughs> I promise we're not that vain. Well. We're a little vain. <laughs> <laughs> it always feels nice to hear people say nice things about you. It's yeah, very kind. It's yeah, very sweet. Especially because we, after we second-guessed our names several times and then realized that Fractures of Existence was way cooler, there's a whole arc. <laughs> oh. there, there's a plot line to the name of the podcast. Regardless, <laughs> Vienna asks, You've talked about roll tables, and I've always loved the idea, but I've never been able to execute it well. If I ever have more than one, and then my notes, things get hopelessly cluttered, 
and play can feel stifled as if or as I navigate my tables. How do I effectively use roll tables as a GM? That one's hard, mostly because I rarely use roll tables. Uh, generally, and I found that tables are kind of controversial. I will say you don't have to use them. Um, just for anyone who's listening out there who's like, oh, should I be using that? You don't have to. Um, oftentimes, actually, what happens is it might just make more sense for things like random encounters uh, and town makeup and whatever to just pick something off the table that makes narrative sense. So you use it less like a table and more like a list of potential options and don't really worry about the role itself. Um, that being said, it sounds like it might be something that would be answered with a tool of some sort, such as Obsidian, if the answer that you're looking for is more like organization-based. Changing when you're using the roll tables can be effective. You're, it sounds like you're trying to use the roll tables in the moment while you're shuffling through notes and a little bit like, you know, already handling everything that's going on as a DM. Roll tables can be used for inspiration. They can be used to break through writer's block. They can be used to, if you're just developing a random throwaway town and you just need, you, you can't for the life of you make another tavern name or determine how many buildings are here or what the vibe is just pull up some roll tables there's roll tables for everything on the internet and you can just roll some dice and just let that answer your questions for you and yeah. i think the same goes for also making characters yeah i think it can be a great way to to just bring more excitement or more enthusiasm into a moment like i'm thinking of you know maybe using a roll table for something that the the player is directly involved in, like, for example, for no particular reason, like a wild magic drink, right? If that's something that's fun for the player to, to know that, like, if I drink this thing, then I get to roll on the table and I don't know what's going to happen, right? That can be something that can really involve, and it involves other players at the table because everyone else is curious to see what's going to happen because you know that it's random. Uh, I like that as opposed to necessarily, like, relying on, Something I think I can't remember which one which one of you I think which one of you said that it was that you can just use it as like uh, options you don't have to actually rely on the role you don't mm -hmm. it can just be a list of of options for you but I I like the idea of the funness of it like wild magic or um, you know if I'm trying to think of another example of something else that you know as as DMs like what else is something that you could use to um, bring the the player in. Weather. Weather, yeah. I use travel. it for weather all the time. When I'm, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. yeah. I am so bad at just, like, what's the weather? It's rain <laughs> or sunny. <laughs> like, there's a lot of weathers, and they're not yeah. all just rain and sun. Uh, so it's pretty useful for that. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah. I think on the topic of, like, using a roll table for, like, wild magic or whatever, it really comes down to, like, picking your battles, right? Mm -hmm. In this case, your battle is when you're using a roll table. Kind of a strange choice of words on your boy's part to talk about picking your battles in a podcast <laughs> about games, about fighting battles. But <laughs> choosing when a roll table actually would be useful, would actually enhance the situation. As Gina said, like the wild magic table, having a thing where it's like, you know, they don't know and you don't know. And the excitement of not knowing is beneficial as opposed to they don't know and you don't know and you need an answer. <laughs> it's usually easier, usually a little faster to either have a, a few prompts just to help poke your brain and, and get that answer versus trying to find the right table and roll and whatnot. Plus, asking your characters to do the roll for you 
gives you a couple extra seconds to look at that table and be like, oh, God, what page is it on again? Uh, little DM tip. If you need to buy time, that's a good way of doing it. <laughs> Alternatively, just make a bunch of rolls silently Ooh. behind the behind the, the If you want to spike your there. player's heart rate, yeah, just let them hear the <laughs> yeah. sound of your dice hitting 20 the table. 20d20s just dropping at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your wisdom modifier again? Ask them for, for a, a random perception check, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just for no reason. You don't even have to have an answer. Just be like, okay. <laughs> I I've I've I have previously just messed with this one player by constantly making him do passive perception checks and then giving oh, him God. mundane results. Oh, like he'll great. roll like a 20 and I'll be like, that tree is exactly 40 feet away. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's so <Yeah>. mean. <laughs> <laughs> Like that rock at your foot looks like it would skip like perfectly if you were anywhere near you right now. God, that's actually a really good idea for a character. I love that. <laughs> oh God. Well, thank you so much, Vienna. I I hope that helps. I know our answer was use less roll tables. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry. Thank you so much to the two of you for submitting your wishes. Once again, if any of you guys have any questions that you'd like answered or if you need any guidance from us lovely wise sages uh please send your wishes over to wish at the atlasloom.com w-i-s-h at the atlasloom.com uh getting into some announcements the atlas loom is going to be hitting the road once again coming up in march we are going to be headed to pax east uh myself and dev are going to be there for all days of the con and then a couple days on either side so if you see us wandering the con hall please come up and say hello uh, we we do love seeing you guys. Like genuinely, I know I speak for both of us in that regard. But please do not be shy. Come up and say hi. For anyone looking for more exciting Atlas Loom content besides the episode that we drop once every two weeks, we do also have bonus episodes available to our Gilded World Weavers. Uh, to become a Gilded World Weaver, just head on over to our site, theatlasloom.com, and you can subscribe for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year to get somewhere between like twenty minutes to thirty minutes of just us riffing before every episode. It's a lot of fun. It's very casual, very funny, and I don't know. I like it, but I'm also biased because I'm the one who edits it. So if you're looking for some extra Dev and Diana in your life, become a Gilded World Weaver today. Once again, my name is Diana Fay, better known as Diana of the Rose. I'm a TTRPG content creator and, as of this year, actual play performer, uh, as well as the co-host of the Atlas Loom. You can find me on all platforms as at Diana of the Rose. Um, Deb? Yeah. Hi. I'm Dev, also Endeavorance. You can find everything that I do at endeavorance.camp. I stream on Twitch three times a week at twitch.tv slash endeavorance TV. I was not, I was not <laughs> as blessed as Diana insofar as getting my handle on every single platform. But if you want the easy way to find me everywhere, endeavorance.camp. But most importantly, Gina, tell us who you are and what you've got me. going on. Me, it's me. It's uh, I'm oh hey, it's Gina with an underscore at the end, uh, because I also there is another Gina out there who has taken that username. It's okay, it's fine. Uh, I'm oh hey, it's Gina with an underscore at the end. You can find me on most social platforms. I would love to see you there. I occasionally make silly TTRPG TikToks. I do a lot of actual plays. I write. I act. I am a role player who gets way too emotionally invested in my characters. I have a lot of projects coming up in 2024. I'm very excited about them. Most of them I can't talk about yet, unfortunately, but one of them I can, and I'm incredibly excited because I am going to be starring in my first live one-shot as a vampire, The Masquerade, 
uh, live one shot on Leap Day, a very cursed day, February 29th, Thursday, 7 p.m. EST, 6 p.m. CST with uh, Jillian Foxglove, AJ Winters, Christian Carlson on the Playmats Twitch. So if you want to see me be a vampire and cause all sorts of havoc and be a menace, uh, tune in. I love havocs. I love menaces. Havocs and I love menaces. a good havocy menace. Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> we love Folderall here. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gina. It's been an actual pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're please come back anytime, <laughs> yeah. every time. Just you made it look easy. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. I'd love to. Anytime you want me back, just send me a message. We'll do. You know All where right, to find we'll me. be in touch tomorrow. Okay, perfect. Mm. <laughs> same time, same <laughs> cool. place. Cool. So see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Atlas Loom. Our paths will cross again soon, but in the meantime, keep on weaving your worlds. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Never know how to end it. Never know we're not good at the scripted so parts of this bad. podcast. We're not. We don't do scripts. <laughs> <laughs>